Hello and welcome to the After Dinner Podcast. My name is John Keeley and this is the podcast extension of ROI Show 521. Our noted guest for today is Soren Powell, graduate assistant at Miami University of Ohio, who will be talking to us about the survival of the Confederate legacy. The history buffs joining us are Ed Broders and Rick Sweet. Ed, why don't you start us off? Thanks, John. Soren, in the last few months, in, in reading certain um, op-ed pieces, I've seen the phrase new confederacy used. Mm-hmm. If you're familiar with that, can you talk about that a little bit? I have not really seen the phrase new confederacy myself. However, I can speak to uh, contemporary movements that actually stem, that have historical roots. The two examples I can give are uh, the United Daughters of the Confederacy, uh, which formed in 1894 and is actually responsible for the hundreds of Confederate monuments that we see in the South today, uh, they are still active and ongoing and participating in politics in 2023. The second group is the Sons of Confederate Veterans, formed in 1896. They, too, are actually still active in, in politics and kind of pushing uh, a Confederate idea of the Civil War. Uh, between the two, I would say the Sons of Confederate Veterans is a lot more proactive, specifically because two of their members uh, have actually been producing, they, they've actually published 11 books kind of since 1991, uh, and their most recent one was released in November 2022, that is actually a, a simple, honest regurgitation of all these lost cause talking points from the 1860s and everything. They are still definitely trying to influence uh, how the Confederacy is seen to this day. Gag me. Uh, Rick, <laughs> go ahead. Oh, man. Soren, uh, you mentioned in the broadcast uh, portion one of the rationales, delusional, dare I say, and that is my personal opinion, for mm-hmm. the war was northern jealousy of the southern civilization. What in the yeah. world is there to be jealous about when they had the military, industrial, economic they won the war. So yes. what? where does this jealousy thing come from? Bear with me because it's kind of a bit of a doozy. Um, oh, I bet it is. <laughs> Our entire conversation has been bordering on doozy. Yeah. The idea really is, is that slavery was actually the reason what is the reason why the South was superior. Uh, slavery being the keystone to Southern civilization, it made everyone uh, honorable and respectable. Everyone knew their place in the hierarchy. Um, it, it meant uh, a greater and more respectable civilization overall. And, and the view was is that the North was dirty, materialistic, didn't know you know proper values kind of thing. This is really kind of the, the, the crazy thing about the lost cause is it's a paradox where they fully recognized that slavery was integral to Southern civilization, you know, before the war started and during the Confederacy. However, they kind of had to dance around the idea that like, well, you know, slavery is what, you know, is what basically built the South, but it wasn't the cause of the war. And so that's kind of where it's kind of this strange paradox uh, that they kind of dance around it. All right. Well, then let's go back to a name that we brought up in the radio broadcast of the show um alexander hamilton stevens obviously was one of the greater voices after the civil war how much 
could you give give our listeners um this was kind of like his uh nonstop continuous battle. He was hitting the road and speaking I mean like up till he died wasn't see how the Confederacy was right if I'm correct with that. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. He published, you know, um a late war his two volumes uh, a constitutional view of the late war between the states, the first volume in 1868 and the second volume in 1870. That's kind of his quote unquote history book, uh, basically defending the South. But, you know, he was a lot more active than just writing this. Uh, for example, after the war ended, he actually went on. He was elected into the U.S. House of Representatives at the federal level. Um, in 1873, and he actually went on to win four more terms. So I didn't he know was that. actually super, yeah. So he was actually super popular in the South, uh, and he only actually resigned from the position of U.S. House of Representatives to become the the governor of Georgia, where he only served a year before he died. But yeah, he he was he was very active in politics. He, uh, he was actually elected into the U.S. Senate in the 1860s, but the U.S. Senate refused to seat him for his responsibility in the war. Okay, Rick. The thing I find curious is you mentioned in the broadcast portion uh, this issue of the Southern or Confederate legacy is still alive and well since race, as I've my studies have shown, is is basically a social construct. There is no basis for calling somebody a uh, Republican or a Scotsman or mm -hmm. a Catholic, uh, it's tribal. It's basically tribal. But as you've been thinking about this, as you've been studying, why does this still exist? Why are we still talking about survival of the Confederate legacy? This is kind of the core argument of what I've been researching. And, and the truth is they've hammered home all these Confederate actors, Edward Pollard, uh, Albert Taylor Bledsoe, Alexander Stevens, Jefferson Davis. Uh, there's also Confederate Lieutenant General uh, Jubal Early, who is super active in the lost cause of the Confederacy, which uh, I don't think we have time to talk about that. But all of them really hammered home the idea that uh, we need to publish this as the definitive history of the Civil War so that we can pass this on to future generations. All of them really emphasize the idea that we need to push this history, this revisionist history, so it can be taught for later generations so the South can continue to live. The media, the, the newspaper companies that advertised and supported them uh, also really hammered home this idea that, like, this is the definitive history that your children must read and we must be teaching it in schools. And it really actually became uh, curriculum. These, these lost cause textbooks or these texts uh, became the way history was taught in the South uh, in the 1910s. And I am sure that uh, the state of Florida is buying a whole bunch of them to add them to their historical uh, curriculum. Yes. Ed, you got the last question. Soren, were there any other social, for lack of a better term, organizations that sprang up after the Civil War in the South? And I guess specifically what I'm thinking about are what was, I believe, known as uh, shooting societies, um, yeah, so honestly, uh, I have never heard of shooting societies. Uh, but as far as Nathan Bedford Forrest is concerned, he is known to be one of the first grand wizards of the Ku Klux Klan. And, and I, I guess you could say that one of the biggest known shooting organizations 
was the KKK because a lot of the terrorist activities that they did was to sneak into African-Americans' homes uh, and shoot them on the spot for sport. Nathan Bedford Forrest, although there was not a, you know, kind of a nationwide organization of the Klan at this time, was recognized as, as, as kind of the first big leader at the time, I guess you could say. We would like to thank our guests for the 521st show, Soren Powell, graduate assistant at Miami University of Ohio, who talked with us about um, uh, the legacy of the Confederacy. The History Bus for today's show are Ed Broders and Rick Sweet. ROI can be found at 9.30 p.m. Uh, nights at KALA Radio or on the web at TuneIn.com. If you're looking for older programs, you will find them at SoundCloud.com. Just put KALA Radio in the search, click on the first icon, and scroll down to find nearly a decade of ROI shows. You can also find ROI on your favorite streaming platforms. ROI is recorded at station KALA, St. Ambrose University.